thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning, Connect Church family. How many of you are grateful that Jesus is your living hope? He's the hope that we have in a world that seems hopeless at times. We have a hope that is alive and that is living in Christ. We are, we are so grateful that you're here today. So good to see you. You know, um, my first child's in sports. My, my oldest daughter, Avery's playing basketball now. And, and I'm trying to learn how not to yell so much during the games that I can still preach on Sundays, right? And so you might hear my voice go in and out. But man, I love it. Beautiful time of year. And we're so grateful that you're here. So grateful that you're joining us either physically this morning or for the many who join us online, really from all over the world. We are so grateful that you are here together. Today, we are going to make much of Jesus. We've already done that through song, and we're going to continue to do such through the very Word of God. Man, don't you just love good news? Don't you just love hearing good news? Now, let me tell you, you're not going to find it on any news station. You're not going to find it in a lot of places we look. But there is good news to be had and good news to share. You're not going to find it in a football game yesterday if you're a fall fan. But there is good news to be found. I got to thinking about really the greatest relationship that I have outside of Jesus in this life. And that's my relationship with my wife. Now I got to thinking this week of all really the highlights of the good news we have. Now listen, although my wife asked me out the first time, and that's the Lord's honest truth that nobody believes, I did ask her on a first date, and I remember the good news of that day. She said yes, and I was so excited. I, I remember from there planning and, this, and orchestrating this engagement party, hoping she would say yes, and, and there in Douglas Lake on a pontoon boat, right as the sun was setting, I had asked her to marry me, and you know what? I heard some really good news. Yes. And then I remember as, as we're married, uh, Aaron comes to me. We're about four years into our marriage, and she says, Anthony, I have something to tell you. I'm pregnant. Oh, what good news. I remember the moment and the time. And then I remember going to the doctor and hearing the good news. You're going to be having a daughter. And then 18 months later, Anthony, I'm pregnant. We're having another little girl. Oh, what good news. And then about 18 months later, Anthony, I'm pregnant, and we're having a little girl. And then 18 months later, Anthony, I'm pregnant. And I'll never forget sitting in that ultrasound room. And that ultrasound tech was doing what she does, and all of a sudden she said, well, Mom and Dad, do you want to know what you're having? I thought, I've been here before. And she said, you're having a boy. And I thought, oh, what good news. I think I picked her up and I carried her through the room and just celebrated the good news of having uh, just a, a boy in the house and a lot of good news. I mean, for some of you, this is not good news, but we're 41 days until Christmas. I'm just going to remind you that every Sunday because I know it annoys some of you. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, other good news that came out this week, the McRib is back at McDonald's. I love that sandwich, hey listen, there's a lot of good news to be had 
and a lot of good news shared. But in this conversation of the risk and reward of a generous life, on the greatest return for our investment as believers, there is some good news, really the good news, that perhaps we're the most stingy with. That, that maybe, perhaps as believers, we are the most reluctant to share. And that is the good news of the gospel. We know this, the risk and reward of a generous life is investing our time and our talent and our treasure in the work of the gospel. But how much are we really purposefully sharing the good news of the gospel? So let's start with that. What is, what is the gospel? If I were to bring you on stage right now, just pick you out randomly, and you were to live, right? And you were to come up here, and I would say, hey, listen, just share for the church real quick. Just real quick. What is the gospel? Would you be able to, to tell somebody what the gospel is? You know, something that hits home to me is if I brought one of my four kids up here and said, hey, hey guys, share the gospel with everybody. What is the gospel? Would our, would our kids be able to tell someone what the gospel is the greatest news in, in all of history, but what is the gospel? How would, how would you answer? Does your spouse know the answer? Do, do your kids know the answer? You see, the word gospel literally means good news. Good news. You, you know why I love doing what I do? Because no matter the text I preach, no matter the, the topic we talk about on a Sunday morning, at the end of the day, I am a gospel preacher. At the end of the day, it always ends in good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. It's the good news that God, our creator, sent his son, our savior, to die on the cross for our sin and for our shame and for our guilt. Three days later, he emptied the grave that through him we might have a relationship with God. And through Jesus, we may have life eternal. You see, that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But can I remind you something about the good news? It's only good news if it gets there in time. The gospel is only good news if it gets to them in time. Guys, are we being generous with the gospel? Is the gospel getting there in time to people who don't know Jesus? Take a look at this passage, if you would. Um, wrong remote. I love this sign anyway, by the way. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul reminds the Corinthian church, really the foundations of the gospel. What we're reading here in Scripture is the earliest creed in all of Christianity, a creed that was brought from the very events of the cross and the resurrection that believers begin to share with each other. Listen to what Paul writes. He says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. He says, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received I passed to you of first importance. That, watch this, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. You see, that is the good news of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ, but why are we so reluctant, so stingy with the gospel? I think sometimes fear drives it. Fear maybe of what somebody else will think. Maybe the feeling of inadequacy for many believers, the feeling of not being equipped enough to share the gospel really drives our reluctancy to share. But maybe no matter the reasons, maybe this morning we come to this conclusion together, that there is no reason that opts any believer out of the command of Christ to all believers to be generous with the gospel. That there's, there's no reason, believer, that opts us out of being gospel generous. There's a thousand reasons not to. But Jesus is the reason to be generous with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what we find about the gospel, really. That the gospel, living out the gospel and sharing the gospel go hand in hand, right? Like peanut butter and jelly. Like balls and losing to joy. It just goes hand to hand, right? It goes together. And here's what I know and I love. Put it this way. If the gospel was a bird, it takes two wings to fly this bird. And here's what I mean. Wing number one is living out the gospel visibly. It takes two wings to fly this gospel bird. Wing number one is living out the gospel visibly. Wing number two is sharing the gospel verbally. Hey, by the way, if you only have one of these wings, you don't go very far. Both go together. Both are needed together. St. Francis of Assisi is attributed to saying this. I'm not certain he did. But he had this famous saying, preach the gospel and when necessary use words. That's a pretty good statement. Except for, it's always necessary to use words. Meaning, it's like saying this, jump out of an airplane, and when necessary, use a parachute. It's always necessary to use a parachute if you're going to jump out of an airplane. And the same is true with the gospel. It is necessary that we live out the gospel visibly, and it is necessary that we share the gospel verbally. It's always necessary to use our words. Last week we talked about Jim Elliott, the missionary martyr in Ecuador, who gave his life for the very people he was trying to reach with the gospel. In one of his correspondence in 1950, he wrote this in his journal, talking about the business of God, that God is busy, that God is busy, and that he is peopling eternity. God is peopling Eternity. I, I love that language there, peopling eternity. Really, it's an answer to Jesus' prayer. This high priestly prayer he prays in John chapter 17, where he cries out, Father, I want those that you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. You see, God really is peopling eternity, and he's answering the very prayer of his son so that God, through Christ, can people out eternity. Hey, can I ask you something? How busy are you and I peopling eternity? Living out the gospel visibly, sharing the gospel verbally so that people can know eternal life in Jesus Christ. God is peopling eternity 
are you and I doing the same? Peter Juckert would say this once. The worst kind of failure in business is success in the things that don't really matter. Hey, church, you ready? If we're successful in any arena as a church, may we be successful in the most important thing, the thing that matters most, and that is seeing people saved by the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ and those very same people being made into disciples. As a church, we must keep the main thing, the main thing. John Wesley, the great theologian, once said this, to the church, you have one business on earth, and that is to save souls. So the question comes this morning, in light of the text that we're going to preach, how's it going, believer? Living out the gospel visibly, sharing the gospel verbally, how's it going in your everyday life? If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to spend some time here. Romans chapter 1. Here Paul writes the church in Rome and and really encourages them in their faith. Watch this in verse 8. I love this. And and I pray that that if if Jesus were to ever write us a letter and and send it through UPS, right, that that we would get something like this from him. He says, first, as Paul writes the church in Rome, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for for all of you. Because, watch this, your faith is being reported all over the world. And we get a picture here of a church in Rome that is thriving, that is a generous people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul longs to go to Rome, but the Holy Spirit is keeping it from it up until this point. He's got Paul in a season of waiting. But Paul discloses in verse 14, and really why it is that he wants to get to Rome. And it's not just a sightsee. Look at what we find here. He says this, For I am obligated both to Greek and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I'm, watch this, so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. I love this. I am obligated, Paul says. The first of three I am statements Paul makes in chapter 1 of Romans. I am obligated, which shows his concern for those without Christ. I am eager, which shows his commitment to the work of the gospel. And I am not ashamed, which shows his confidence in the very power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These three I am statements indicate that he's not just having a fleeting feeling. Rather, Paul has an ongoing obligation to the people before him. Listen to his language. To Greeks and to non-Greeks. To the wise and to the foolish. This phrasing indicates here in Scripture this. You ready? That he is obligated to all races, all classes of people, those educated and those uneducated. In some of your translations, instead of non-Greeks, it says barbarians. And that is the literal translation. And now that just gives us a little insight to how snotty the Greeks were. Because they believed that everybody who wasn't a Greek was a barbarian, right? It's like that's what some people from Tennessee think of people from Alabama, right? It's just wrong. But Paul just uses that language to show what they're thinking. 
There's one word I want us to focus on in Romans chapter 1, verse 14. And it's the word obligated. Literally translated, I am indebted. Some of your versions would say, I am a debtor, Paul says. I am indebted. Meaning this, that I owe a debt to those who don't know Jesus. Because Paul was saved by God's grace. His obligation became to those who yet to know the grace of God in their life. I love what David Platt says. He says this, that every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. And that's exactly what Paul was indicating here in Romans chapter 1, verse 14. You know, in our community today, the biggest question is are you vaccinated or are you not? Are you vaccinated or are you not? Hey, church, I've got a, I've got a better question, a far more pressing question that has far more long-lasting implications than whether you are vaccinated not or not. Is this, are you saved or are you not? Are you in Christ? Or are you not? You see, questions really matter. And the most important all have to do with Jesus. And for those who are not in Christ, I owe them the gospel if given the chance to share it with them. John Wesley would say again, untold millions are still untold. Untold millions, as we sit here under the sound of the gospel, under the singing of the gospel today, untold millions are still untold. Therefore, I must live out the gospel visibly. You see, Peter admonishes the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, and he says this in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see, watch this, your good deeds and glorify God. You know what Peter's talking about here? He's talking about living out the gospel visibly. You see, here's, what's the, here's the deal behind our, our good deeds. Our good deeds were designed by God to share good news. Your good works... Your good deeds were designed by God to share good news. You know, living out the gospel encompasses doing good works. They don't save us, but they're evidence that you and I are saved. We must live out the gospel daily, faithfully, obediently, consistently, truthfully, openly, privately, sincerely, genuinely, purposefully, willfully, confidently, and most assuredly, by walking with Jesus, empowered by his spirit, and loved by our Father. Living out the gospel means affirming the word of God and aligning your life to its teachings. Hey, not to put on a show, rather to showcase how the gospel of Jesus Christ can change anyone's life. I love this in Daniel. He says this in chapter 12, verse 3. Those who are wise 
will shine as bright as the sky. And those who may lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. We don't live the gospel visibly to show off. Rather, to showcase the good news of the gospel. On one evening, the founder of the great Salvation Army, William Booth, took his son, Bromwell, and they were walking the streets of London. Bromwell at the time was 12 or 13 years old. And as they walked the streets of London, his daddy walked him into a saloon, much to his surprise. The place was crowded with men and women, many of them bearing on their faces the marks of vice and crime. Some were drunk. The fumes of alcohol and tobacco were poisonous. And Booth looked at his son and said, Bromwell, these are our people. These are the people I want you to live for. And these are the people I want you to bring to Christ. And Bromwell would say to his death that that day left a valuable impression on the rest of his life. Hey, believer, I I want you to look at them. Those who've been broken by sin, lied to by the enemy, cast out by addiction, hopeless, helpless, in desperate need of a Savior. I want you to look at them. You know why? Because those are our people. And those are the ones that I want to spend the rest of my days bringing to Jesus by living out the gospel visibly and sharing the gospel verbally. Those are the ones, church, that we need to bring to Jesus. Watch this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Paul would write, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal, watch this, through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Come to Jesus. We are his ambassadors. We represent him on this foreign soil as citizens of heaven and pilgrims in a land we're simply just passing through. We are his mouthpiece. We speak the gospel on his behalf. We invite people to follow Jesus on his behalf. Why? Because every one of us saved people on this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side. Of hell. You see, we must live out the gospel visibly, but we must share the gospel verbally as well. Dr. Lighton Ford talked about a time where he was speaking in Halifax, Nova Scotia, in an open-air crusade where they would share the gospel with thousands and thousands of people. Well, you see, he was preaching the very night before Billy Graham was to preach the next night. By the way, what a terrible spot to preach in. But he was there, and he preached the gospel. Well, you see, Billy Graham had gotten to the event that day, and he put a hat on, he put a scarf around his neck, and he put glasses on, and so kind of incognito, he went out about the crowd. And as he went out in the crowd, he sat there for Dr. Ford's message that night. And Billy Graham couldn't help but notice there was an older gentleman sitting in front of him who seemed to listen with everything he had, seemed intent on hearing the gospel message. 
And so Billy Graham practicing some personal evangelism, as the invitation was given by Dr. Ford, he tapped on that man's shoulder and said, hey, if you want to come to Jesus, I'll walk with you down the aisle. And the man kind of looked back and said, after thinking for a few moments, no, I'm going to wait till tomorrow night for the big guns to come out. And Dr. Ford and Billy Graham had laughed about that on so many occasions. But you know what that really underscores for us today? It underlines how in the minds of so many people, evangelism and sharing the gospel is the task of the big guns, not really for the little shots. Can I share something with you? Everyone who lives out the gospel visibly and shares the gospel verbally is a big gun in the kingdom of God. Is a big gun when it comes to the very kingdom of God. We're reminded in 1 Thessalonians, I love this, chapter 2, verse 4, but as we have been approved by God to be, watch this, entrusted with the gospel, believer, you have been entrusted with the gospel. Even so, watch this, we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. In Christ, and he has saved you, you have been entrusted with the gospel. You ready? So speak. Speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Share the good news of Jesus. Why well, I love this as well in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, because we loved you so much. We were delighted, Paul writes, watch this, to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Hey, you see the two wings that fly that bird? They shared the gospel verbally, and they shared their lives. They shared the gospel visibly. Hey, can I just remind us of a reality check that I will remind us most Sundays that we meet together? As I preach here this morning, 75,000 people are in nobody's church. Some of whom are unchurched, meaning this, that they've never had an experience with church in their life, and there are a lot of them. In fact, our youth pastor just this past week talked to one of those here on site. But also there are the D church, and those are the people who've had a church experience at some point in their life, but whether they were hurt or whether they were just worn out, or maybe just indifferent. I mean, they've not darkened the doors of the church for quite some time now. You see, the question is today, are we really willing to step outside the walls of this place to live out the gospel visibly and to share the gospel verbally to reach them? Are, are, we, are we ready to go like this? You know what? There's some empty seats in this room even still this morning. And we got a good crowd. But next week, and I know somebody who's one of those 75,000, I'm going to do everything I can to bring them to church with me. I'm going to do everything I can to invite them. I'm going to pick them up. I'll take them to lunch. I'll do whatever it takes to see one of these 75,000 Sit and hear the gospel and get introduced to the family of God. Are we willing to go there, to be generous with the very gospel of Jesus Christ? And asking ourselves this question. Maybe 
maybe living out the gospel and sharing the gospel means more than just throwing money at the gospel. Hey, we are so grateful for your generosity. But don't ever see it as you throwing it out, throwing money at somebody else sharing the gospel so you don't have to. That's not what generosity is designed to do. It's on you to be generous with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me ask you a question. Honestly, how are you being generous with the gospel week by week? How purposeful are you living out the gospel visibly in your marriage, in your parenting, in your home, in your workplace, in your community? On Saturdays when the kids are playing ball? On Monday when you get up and go to school? How generous really are you with the gospel? It's a, it's a question really... Only you can answer this morning. Sometimes I fear that as believers, we don't really have a good answer to that question. How am I, how am I living out the gospel visibly? How am I sharing the gospel verbally? Sometimes I'm afraid we don't have a really good answer to that question. And so with that, we must do better. Why? Too much is on the line. Too much is at stake for us to not really know how to answer. Am I being generous with the gospel? Sometimes I fear that we see the good news of the gospel as something we move on from as believers. Maybe to something greater we might pursue than the gospel. Hear me. No. We need the gospel even as believers every day to sustain our faith. J.D. Greer would say this, spiritual growth happens not by going beyond the gospel, but by going deeper into it. The church is not an audience to be entertained. It is an army to be empowered. The large crowds will not change the world, but the mobilized force of spirit-filled believers will. Hey, let me just prepare you. I'm fixing to make one statement and ask one question that's rough. That as I've prepared for this message all week, something that the Holy Spirit has absolutely stomped on my toes about, okay? So just, here it goes. In light of Romans chapter 1, 14 through 16, in light of this idea of of being generous with the gospel. You ready? Believer, you are either living out the gospel visibly and sharing the gospel verbally, or believer, you are living in rebellion to God. You are living in rebellion to his calling in your life. I've heard it asked this way. How much, believer, Do you have to hate someone to not share the gospel with them? Told you it was hard. Check on your neighbor real quick. Everybody okay? How much do we have to hate somebody not to share the gospel with them, not to live out the gospel in front of them? 
I want you to hear me. Every believer who has been saved by Christ has been called to live out the gospel visibly and to share the gospel verbally. I came across the story of Charles Pace, a notorious criminal in England. He was executed on February 25th, 1879. And before they executed him, an Anglican minister who really didn't love his job half-heartedly read to him the consolations of religion before he died, which states, those who die without Christ experience hell, which is the pain of dying forever without the release which death itself can bring. Good news, not really. Charles Pace stopped the minister before he even finished. And he said these words that still are spoken in history today. This criminal said, Sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. And then they took his very life. Hey, church, I'm not asking you to crawl over broken glass from sea to shining sea. We need only to open our hearts and open our mouths to live out the gospel visibly and to share the gospel verbally with so many who don't know him. I, I don't know if you can see this well. Let's see if I can do this while I stop falling. This right here is our Who's Your One board. Maybe our cameras can focus in for those who are sitting, can't see this well. This is our Who's Your One campaign. We kicked off a couple of months ago. The idea, who is it that's near to you, yet they're far from God? And so all these white ping pong balls bear the initials of your one. Hey, by the way, if your one's not in here, we've got ping pong balls still out there. Put them in here. Then we pray over them and win your one. And what's been amazing is, is over the past couple of months, I don't know how well you can see this, but there are dozens of orange ping pong balls mixed in with the white. This is more than just tipping our hat towards the balls, right? Those orange ping pong balls. Bear the initials of those, those of you who've seen your one, one to Christ, who've seen the person that's near you but far from God come to a a place of saving faith where they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So why is it that we live out the gospel visibly? Why is it that we share the gospel verbally? Why? To win our one to Jesus. How's it going winning your one? Because let me tell you how you win them. How you change them from a white ping pong ball to an orange. Is you live out the gospel visibly and you have to share the gospel verbally with them. Who's your one? You know, I look across this room and, and although we have a pretty good crowd here today, there's empty seats. And there's space for us to add some more chairs. Can can I tell you one of the biggest problems in the church today? An empty chair. 
An empty chair in a church is a big problem. Why? Because one of those 75,000 who are in nobody's church ought to be sitting here today. And right here, the person who's struggling with addiction needs to know that Jesus can break every chain in their life. And, And the person here who's battling depression needs to know that no matter how dark it gets, there is always the hope and the light of Jesus Christ. An empty chair is a big problem. Why? Because those who've been cast out in society because of their sin, who feels as if nobody loves them, needs to be reminded that Jesus does. Why is an empty chair a big problem? It's because people who are yet to sit here don't know that there's more to life than just living and dying. You see, church, an empty chair is a big problem. And how does God solve it? He solves it through his church, through believers. Maybe you've heard me say it today. Who live out the gospel visibly and who share the gospel verbally. I jotted this down this week, and I want to close with this statement. Wherever I've seen the gospel lived out visibly and shared verbally, here's what I've seen. Lives are changed for the good. Even nations are changed for the better. Criminals become good citizens. Addicts are set free. Alcoholics become sober. Hateful people will love. Unjust people will embrace justice. Sinners become saint. Darkness gives way to light. Hopelessness is exchanged for hope. And sorrow turns to rejoicing. If but the church and the believer would take seriously the call of God that we are indebted to those who don't know Jesus, we're obligated to Him to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to live out the gospel visibly. And to share the gospel verbally. The question is, is how many more times I got to preach it? How many more times are you going to read it? How many more times is the Spirit going to want it? And you continue just to say, no, I'm going to wait for the big guns to do it. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.